Good morning, Oak Mountain, and Happy New Year. Wow. Good morning, Oak Mountain, and Happy New Year. I do hope uh, your new year is off to a great start. I'm guessing that many of you have started your New Year's resolutions, right? And have failed already. It is January 3rd already. Y'all, I quit doing New Year's resolutions because I got so frustrated at failing at them. No, actually, I was really good at failing at them. So I just, in my cynicism, said, I'm done. But I began to switch that and think about it and do it a little bit differently. I began to look at the new year and say, okay, God, what would you have me pray about to be a change in my life in the coming year? And so a few years ago, uh, I sensed that the Lord was impressing upon me to pray that I might become more of a man of prayer and a man of the word. And it's, it's something I had longed for. It's something I'd again, failed at quite well. And so I began praying that I might become more a man of prayer. Well, the Lord has taken me through a journey over, I would say, the last four or five years. And it's a journey, it's been a journey of discovery, but it's also been a painful and difficult journey. And there's hardly any any image or any depiction that captures what I've gone through, I feel like, better than the film, It's a Wonderful Life. Do you remember when George Bailey prays and he pours out his heart to God? And he's in anguish of soul. Do you remember what the answer was? The answer to his prayer? Let's watch and see. Yeah, Merry Christmas. Glad you come. How much are that good spaghetti? We got everything. Please go home, Mr. Bailey. This is Christmas Eve. Bailey? Which Bailey? This Mr. George Bailey. The next time you talk to my wife like that, you'll get worse. She cried for an hour. It isn't enough she's slaves teaching you stupid kids how to read and write. You have to ball her out. Get out of here, Mr. Welch. Now, wait a minute. I want to pay for my drink. Never mind, nobody. You get out of here, quick. Oh, 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 oh
Uh, no worries. His name is Welsh. He don't come into my place no more. No, Welsh. That's what I get for praying. That's what I get for praying. I'm guessing that there are those of you here in this sanctuary that can really identify with that. Because there was a season as I've walked through this journey where I felt like I would pray and my prayers would not ascend beyond the ceiling. Or I felt like there was this mocking silence from God as I would pray and seek Him and was really struggling in prayer. But what I love about that film is George does pray, but that's not the answer to the prayer. The film zooms out, and the whole film is the picture of God, is the story of God unfolding his answer to George Bailey's prayer. And I feel like that that's what God has done with me. He's taken me on this journey of discovery. God is categorically at work, even at times when I don't see it. And I feel like God is taking me from wondering in prayer or wondering about prayer to a sense of wonder in prayer. And so I'd like for us this morning to look at two verses um, in Matthew chapter 6, verses uh, 9 and 10. And for us to consider the Lord's Prayer. Sorry, I lost my place here. And let me invite you to stand as we read this together. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 and 10. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray together. Our Father and our God, we do make it our request that you would grow us as a congregation in prayer. That you, by your spirit this morning, would teach us and inspire us to draw near to you in prayer. And we pray this together in your name. Amen. You may be seated. So point one, we're going to consider the wonder of us. Have you ever wondered, have you ever noticed how the Lord's Prayer begins? He says, teach us to pray. And then he says, when you pray... And we miss, in English, we miss the fact that that when you pray is not a singular speaking to you or to you. It's when you pray. Pray like this. And then he goes on in the rest of the prayer. Our Father, give us, forgive us, lead us. Do you understand what he's saying? The assumption in Jesus' teaching about prayer is that the disciples would be praying together. And he's teaching them the importance about the importance of corporate prayer. 
Think back to the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, couldn't you pray with me for even one hour? He wasn't scolding one disciple or another. He was speaking to the group of disciples. He says to them, watch and pray. How are you going to watch and pray? You're going to watch and pray together and encourage one another together. Jesus' basic assumption in teaching the disciples about prayer is that the disciples would be praying together. What's the answer to, Lord, will you teach us to pray? It is pray together. Think about prayer in the book of Acts. Let's just take Acts 2 and Acts 4. At the end of Acts 2 and at the end of Acts 4, you've got these pictures of the church gathered together and praying. And there's power in their corporate prayer. In chapter 4, they pray for boldness. Now, I want you to get this. Jesus was murdered not many days prior to that. And his disciples are praying for boldness. And then when they pray together for boldness, what happens? Awe falls upon the church. Reverence and awe and fear. And thousands come to faith. It's an amazing thing to think about. Now, let's think about Prayer in our context. If I were to bump into you um, at Starbucks, for example, this would have had to have been about a year ago, I guess. But if I was to bump into you and say, tell me about your prayer life, what would you tell me? You'd be telling me about what's going on in your quiet time, right? Because that's what I would be sharing with you as well. We tend to think about prayer in very individualistic ways. It's me and Jesus. I want to be clear, that is not wrong. I want, I want you to understand, I'm not saying that that is wrong. In the Psalms, we have David's recorded prayers of him pouring out his soul to the Lord. And then we have those shared with us because he wrote them down. Or Jesus, we've got account after account after account of Jesus withdrawing to a lonely place to pray, to meet with and commune with the Father. We need both. Time alone, time meeting with the Lord, and then corporate prayer together. Both are important. But what happens when we typically go through a season of struggling in our prayer life. It's true that we tend to struggle alone, right? We struggle in silence. And that aloneness and that silence leads to further isolation. As I was going through this journey that I shared with you I began to have feelings of guilt, shame, inadequacy. I am one of the pastors of this church. I began to feel like I can't share with the church that I, I'm struggling to pray. I don't believe that my prayers will get beyond the ceiling. 
And I would share this with Diana, and we were wrestling together with this. And she was praying for me. And then I began to share it with our life group. And then I began to share it with men in my battle group who prayed with me and prayed for me. They helped carry that burden. And they shared their hearts with me. And as they prayed and prayed the scriptures on my behalf, I experienced something significant taking place. God began to give me hope. Even though I wasn't still experiencing quick answers to prayer, He began to give me hope. There was no quick fix. But I began over the next few years to really grow in wonder and awe of the Lord and the way that he's designed corporate prayer and the need for us to share in corporate prayer. I came across this great quote from the Gospel Coalition. Prayer was never meant to be a mere personal exercise and personal benefits, with personal benefits. But a discipline that reminds us how we are responsible for others. We are responsible for one another in prayer. This means that every time we pray, we should actively reject an individualistic mindset. We are not just individuals in relationship with God, but we are part of a community of people who have the same access to God Prayer is a collective exercise. I love that. Oh, that we in 2021 would have a greater appreciation for the collective nature of prayer and wonder at the, at the us of prayer. That brings us to point two, the wonder of glory. Jesus continues to teach the disciples and he says, when you pray, this is the way you're to pray. Our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Basically he's saying, father who is in heaven, holy is your name. Do you hear the tension that he is setting forth? That tension is critical. To err on either side is to make a mistake. Israel, the people of Israel, had a high view of God and His holiness. And that's a good thing. But to err too far on that side, one might begin to think of God as far distant, removed. I think in the contemporary view, we tend to focus more on God as our Father. And the resulting error that can come with that is to be too familiar or too casual in our approach to God. But Jesus sets forth this tension, this holy tension, and he boldly proclaims to his disciples that they too must hold fast to this holy tension. Our Father, who art in heaven, holy is your name. Let me ask you, what's your prayer life like? 
If I were to ask you, if I bumped into you at Starbucks, um, and I asked you, tell me a little bit about what you've been praying for, what's your prayer life like, what would you say? I was, I was talking to Diana about this last night, and I said, before this journey, here's basically what my prayer life, uh, uh, oversimplified summary, bless me and mine. Make us happy, healthy, and prosperous. And she laughed at me. She said, that's not what your prayer life was like. She said, you prayed for Japan. You, you prayed for missionaries. Yeah, but if you shut down my prayer life to the thing I was really after, the thing that really mattered to me, what was it? That the Lord would bless me and mine and make us happy, healthy, and prosperous. No wonder he wasn't hearing and answering my prayers. But through this journey that God has led me on, I have agonized in prayer. I have wrestled in prayer. I have pressed in in prayer. And a beautiful and wonderful thing has taken place. He has met me. And I have begun to experience Him in a much deeper and more profound way. You know, there are those of you, I'm convinced, that when I read the first part of the Lord's Prayer, you were like apoplectic. He stopped before he got to the end of the prayer. (laughs) Huh? How are we going to do this? He didn't finish reading the Lord's Prayer. Here's why. Because we've got to get this. And after we understand that we are praying to our Father, after we begin to meet with our Holy Father who is reigning over in heaven, over our world, then we're ready to pray the rest of the Lord's Prayer. That is the starting point. And when we get that, our perspective begins to change. It has radically affected my perspective on prayer. I think that's the reason that Jesus is able to say in the garden, Lord, take this cup from me. He did not want to suffer. That was his prayer. But then it's like he's prying his hands loose and he says, but not my will, your will be done. What is Jesus' role now since his resurrection and ascension? He is reigning with the Father continually in prayer for his people, for his children. Listen to Romans 8, verse 34. Who is to condemn? Who is it that is throwing fiery darts at you, leading you to doubt? Leading you to fear. Christ Jesus is the one who has died. More than that who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God. Who indeed is interceding for us. Do you get that? Did you hear that? Who is indeed interceding for us. Jesus never stops. Never fails 
to pray and assail the throne of glory on your behalf. Wow. As if that's not enough. In in Romans 8, the same chapter, verse 26, it says, But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. The Spirit also is appealing to the Father with groanings too deep for words. Let that sink in a minute. Jesus is appealing to the Father on your behalf. The Spirit is appealing to the Father on your behalf. Has there ever been a prayer uttered by the Son or the Spirit to the Father that the Father will not hear and will not answer? No. That should shoot courage into our souls like nothing else. So what is he praying for? What is he praying on behalf, on your behalf before the throne of God? He's praying one thing from Hebrews we know is freedom from a guilty conscience. Because if you have a guilty conscience, the enemy can immobilize you. But if you know that you're free in Christ and forgiven, you're free to serve. You're free to serve Him with power. We know from Jesus' high priestly prayer that He also is praying that God will keep you and protect you. He also is praying that we would be worthy of His calling. I feel like my prayer life, there's been this gradual shift. Instead of praying for things, you know, praying for that parking spot or that I'll get something by Friday, some things that, I, that are tangible, it's more taking this role of a priest in prayer. Don't worry, I'm not going to start wearing a collar around here. It's more that Reformation doctrine of the priesthood of all believers. The idea of growing of, of lifting before the throne of grace my requests on behalf of the people of God before the throne of grace. Growing in submission and humility before God in prayer. Asking and trusting, open-handed, more of an intimate communion with God in prayer. It used to be that I came into his presence and I said, here's my laundry list. Lord, I need this, 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 this. And my laundry list was right long. I still wrestle with God in prayer. I want you to know that. There are times that I do not understand what he's doing. And I'm absolutely convinced you're right there with me. If we're honest. And I'm going to be honest with you too. There are times I don't like what he's doing. I don't like COVID. I have prayed that COVID would end since day one. And he has chosen not to answer that prayer. That does not mean that he's not working because I have seen all kinds of amazing things that God is doing through COVID. I still don't like COVID. I don't like or understand Losing people like Bob or Tammy or Buck 
or Allison. Like Job, I wrestle and I trust, and I wrestle and I trust, and I fight to believe. People, this is not a Pollyanna view. In the fall, early in the fall, two of our daughters announced that they were expecting. We were all so excited about these two new grandbabies that were on the way. I named them Pip and Squeak in, uh, to pray for them in the womb. Natalie didn't like Squeak, so it was Pip and Cricket. So I began praying almost every day for Pip and Cricket. And then last month, about two weeks apart, Natalie and Neely both lost their babies. That was painful beyond words. I don't understand. I don't like it. But I trust the Lord. I am fighting, trusting, and believing Some of you may say, well, Tom, you're just being fatalistic and hopeless. And I'd say, no. I am absolutely confident in the Father. See, I'll tell you this. We've been praying for years for our daughter Neely and for Ricky. I mean, we pray for all of our children. But longing to see them draw closer to the Lord. Neely on Thursday night said that her New Year's resolution was to grow to know the Lord more deeply this year. Pip, four and a half months old in the womb, four and a half ounces, has had a profound impact. That was not the impact I was longing for to see in his little life, but I trust God. And so I give thanks to the Father Like Jesus, I give thanks to the Father who is heaven, who is in heaven, and I say, Holy is your name. And like Job, put my hand over my mouth. Point three the wonder of invitation. The next stanza in the uh, Lord's Prayer is, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Basically, it is a prayer that Christ's rule would come in my heart and in my life, and then from my heart and in my life into my family's life, and then into my church, and out into the community, and out into the world. His benevolent reign, his righteous reign would extend from me and mine to the world. I love how it's captured in the shorter catechism, verses, uh, numbers 102, 103. Let me read this to you. What do we pray for in the second petition? In the second petition, which is, Thy kingdom come, we pray that Satan's kingdom may be destroyed. What a glorious prayer. We pray that Satan's kingdom may be destroyed and that the kingdom of grace may be advanced. Ourselves and others brought into that kingdom of grace and kept in it and that the kingdom of glory may be hastened. That's a wonderful prayer. 
And then in 103, what do we pray for in the third petition? In the third petition, which is, Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven, we pray that God by His grace would make us able and willing to know, obey, and submit to His will in all things as the angels do in heaven. This is a significant invitation. He is inviting us to pray. And God will use our prayers and our obedience to change His world. Do you understand the impact, the significance of that invitation? Typically, I feel like our prayers are too small. Think about George Bailey. He's sitting at that bar. He is absolutely desperate. What was he after? If only Martini or someone would hand him $8,000, his worries would be over. God was doing so much more. If Martini, Mr. Martini had given him $8,000, he would have missed what God wanted to show him in that, what do you call that, allegory? That he was the richest man in Bedford Falls. There was so much more that God wanted to show him. And the same is true for us. He is inviting us to join him in seeing his kingdom come with power through our prayers. And this has affected my prayer life. Um, I mentioned that I, I prayed that God would make me more a man of the word and a man of prayer. And so what I began doing was, um, in terms of being a man of the word, I began listening to and reading four chapters of the New Testament every day, about three years ago. And so I've now gone through the New Testament a dozen times. I can't get it to stick yet, but I'm working on it. I'm trying. But what I didn't do is I'll zoom in on one verse, and then I'll pray that verse. For example, a few weeks ago, I read 2 Thessalonians 1. Listen to this. Paul prays. I pray for you, or we always pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may, be, may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power, so that the name of the Lord Jesus may be glorified in you. That's not a prayer that you're going to get an answer to by this coming Friday, Right? But I feel like I've been able to pray that for myself. And then I pray that for Diana. And then I pray that for our kids. And then I pray that for our grandchildren. And then I pray that for the church, for Oak Mountain Presbyterian Church. I pray that for the leadership, for the deacons, the missions team. I pray that for our missionaries. And I have, God has just, Encourage my soul that I, like a priest, am lifting you before the throne of grace. And he is hearing and answering those prayers. And maybe we won't get that answer by Friday. But he is transforming us. I have a greater sense of expectancy and waiting in prayer. It's kind of this combination of Revelation 8 and Hebrews 11. In Revelation 8, there's this picture of the prayers of the saints being 
filling a bowl. And at just the right time, God responds and he throws it upon the earth. And there are flashes of lightning, there's thunder, there's even an earthquake. God moves heaven and earth by the prayers of his people. But there's this tension with Hebrews 11, the hall of faith, people that trusted and believed in God and yet had to wait many times, often painfully waiting through history. You see, his timing is not ours and our vantage point is not his. And I would say that's one of the key lessons that God has taught me. But I've realized that by faith, he most certainly is at work, even when I don't see it. I remember when I became a new believer, I was a new Christian, and I was praying, this is back in the 80s, and I was praying for the Iron Curtain to fall. And I felt like it would never happen. But what happened? The Iron Curtain fell. And you know what I was convinced? God heard and answered my prayers. And the Iron Curtain fell. You know what I think now? God heard and answered my prayers. And the iron curtain fell. But my prayers were added to a whole bunch of other prayers, a billion prayers of people. And at just the right time, God responded on the earth. And his kingdom has come. I look forward to the day that he responds to all the prayers that I've made on behalf of the people of Japan. And they come to know Christ. May the year 2021 be a year of growth and trust-filled prayer for each one of us. I want to leave with you just a few points of application. I'm going to ask that you pray about your prayer life in 2021, that you will grow in your prayer life. And then I'm going to pray that you don't have to go through it like I did. You don't have to experience the pain that I did. And then pray that we would grow as a congregation in understanding and growing to value corporate prayer. Let me encourage you to develop a a prayer list or a journal, maybe using our new devotional, writing in the notes down at the bottom. Record your prayers and begin to see those kingdom prayers become a reality as God answers them. Seek to make your prayer time times of greater intimacy with the Father rather than just a checklist that you go through. And then for those of you who are New Year's resolution junkies, when you fail, because you will, waltz. Repent, believe, fight. Get back in there and keep praying. Don't give up. May the Lord bless us in our journey of prayer, understanding and communing with Him in prayer. Let's pray together. Lord, do that, we pray. Meet with us. Draw us into closer fellowship and communion with you. Help us to grow in understanding prayer. We pray in your name. Amen.